Hi, and I wish all of you a blessed New Year. This is the beginning of spring, and spring always brings to us new hope that the winter is over and there is things to look forward to. And I pray then that for this year, each of you also will find new beginnings and much hope. We continue with our study on Matthew. Today we look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 37. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 37. Let us pray. Father, speak your words of truth to us, that we may know you better and love you deeper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 33. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and, uh, and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognised by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the most perplexing questions that has been asked over the centuries is this, what is the unforgivable sin? And of course, along with that, the question, what is the unforgivable sin is, throughout history, how many people have committed the unforgivable sin? And, how, and who are these people? How close are we to committing the unforgivable sin? And that's something that's perplexing because throughout history we wonder how far do we go? How far do we go before it becomes unpardonable? Over these centuries, no one has had a definite answer and I'm glad for that because the Bible doesn't want to, Jesus doesn't want to make that clear. It wasn't meant to be like this group are going to hell, that group's going to hell. 
But along the way, as we study this passage and ask ourselves this question, we may discover something about the kingdom of God. We may discover something about God himself and what he's like. We may discover something also of the spiritual battle that is raging around us. And we will also discover what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. At the end of the day, maybe we can answer few of these, a bit of this question of what is the unpardonable sin. But my prayer is that in this process, we will understand God even better and our role in God's kingdom. So let's look at several principles that this passage gives to us first. First of all, God forgives those who blaspheme against him. God forgives those who blaspheme against him. Now this is rather surprising, but this is what Jesus says in verse 31. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now we often focus on what will not be forgiven, but really, the truth is that anyone who blasphemes against Jesus and anyone who blasphemes against God will be forgiven. And let's look then at the contrast. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, this is what God says. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether foreigner or native-born, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. So in the commands in Leviticus, it is clear that anyone who blasphemes against God will be put to death. There is no second chance. There is no mercy. In fact, in this, just before this passage, it's a story of a woman who had blasphemed and they were dragged to the people and God said, whoever blasphemes against God will be put to death. And it is rightly so. Think about what it means when you insult a king, a monarch. How serious a crime that will be. In many cultures, when you insult a king, you are to be executed right away. And that's to be because the king is highest. But what about to God, the king of kings and lord of lords? Shouldn't the punishment also be death and condemnation? No mercy for such a person. Such is what we all expect and it is normal that if we were to insult God, if we were to blaspheme God, if we were to curse God, surely the punishment is death. But here Jesus says, no, you can be forgiven. You see, the truth about God is that though he is worthy of all honour, he is not thin-skinned. This doesn't mean that we honour God less. In fact, we honour God more. Because who among us Earthly beings will take an insult easily. Think of how people would slander you, people would curse you, people would insult you, and how we feel often we will not forgive them. Much less should God forgive them. And yet when God says, when Jesus says, by implication, only the Holy Spirit, only blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, will there not be forgiveness? Which implies first that if we blaspheme against God, there will be forgiveness because Jesus is the representation of God. And Jesus says, if you blasphemed against me, you can be forgiven. And then we look at the crucifixion. 
Just before the crucifixion, the soldiers hurled insults at him, laughed at him, mocked him, tortured him. And at the cross, Jesus said, Lord, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. At the end of all the insults that Jesus experienced, Jesus said, forgive these people. And when Jesus is the representation of God, it is also the same as God saying, I forgive all those who have insulted me. This doesn't mean that Jesus is not, that God is not worthy of respect because he is still King of kings and Lord of lords. It means that God is worthy even of more respect because among all deities, among all kings and rulers, this God will not take it out against us when we dishonour him, when we insult him. It should bring within us greater appreciation, greater gratitude, greater praise and honour to God, who though is worthy of all honour, will not take it against us when we dishonour him. The first truth then is that God forgives those who blaspheme against him, God forgives those who dishonour him. And so in saying all this, Jesus was actually shifting the attention to something even more important. Throughout history, the Pharisees had been saying, yes, we'll stone whoever dishonours God. Jesus turned that around. And this gives us a different appreciation of our God. Yes, we honour God, we want to honour God. But we honour God from our hearts, not because it's mandated, not because when we do not honour Him, He kills us. He doesn't do that. Second truth, there is a raging war around us. There is a raging war around us, which most of us do not want to acknowledge. There is a raging war around us that most of us do not want to acknowledge. Jesus here healed a man who was blind and mute. But the Bible says that he wasn't just blind and mute. He wasn't born that way. He was possessed by demons. He was possessed by demons. And Jesus cast out that demon that this man could hear and he could see, he could speak and he could see. There were many, many people who came to Jesus to be healed. The Bible says that many came who were demon-possessed and Jesus cast them out. And one of the questions that I often ask is, what happened, where were these people before Jesus came? There was the temple, there, were the there was the synagogue, there were places of worship. People were worshipping God. And yet, hordes and hordes, multitudes of sick, multitudes of demon-possessed people could not be found anywhere. Nobody wanted to see them. Perhaps there was little hope for them, and hence, nobody wanted to see them. But when Jesus came upon the scene, everything changed. People who were demon-possessed came to him. People who were sick came to him to be healed because Jesus brought the kingdom to them. There is a war around us. If you were to look everywhere within our homes, where there is pain, there is hopelessness, there's helplessness, there is despair. When you are to talk to your colleagues or your classmates, and you hear of them feeling like, 
depressed, cutting their, their wrists, doing all sorts of things that show despair and helplessness. If you were to go out to the neighbourhood and just look around and you see sin, you see sickness, you see demon possession, you see all manner of the work of the evil one, you would know that there is a war that's raging. But the reality is that many of us do not want to know. Years ago, we were, when our church was teaching us about, um, about spiritual warfare, I didn't want to know very much about spiritual warfare, and I realized that I didn't want to know not because I'm a pacifist. A pacifist is one who loves peace. But I realized that it wasn't because I was a pacifist that I did not want to talk or learn about spiritual warfare. It was simply that it's too inconvenient. I want to live my life peacefully. I want to live my life to the end happily. Prosperously, perhaps, doing well. Who wants a war? Nobody wants a war. Nobody wants to be engaged to go out and fight something else, even if it is the evil one. Most of us don't want to be involved in any war of any sort. But we are in a war. And Jesus knew our thoughts and he says in verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus was saying is that there is no neutrality. There's no such a thing as I'm a Christian, but I'd rather not be engaged in spiritual warfare. I'd not be engaged in fighting the powers of darkness. I just want a calm, peaceful, happy life. And Jesus says, well, there isn't really such a thing. Whoever is not with me, whoever doesn't engage together with me, is against me. Whoever does not gather with me, go out to gather lives to bring hope to people. Whoever does not do that, scatters. And so Jesus makes clear that even though we don't want to know, even though we'd rather be neutral, there is no neutrality. Either you go with Jesus to do the work and join the fight, or you stay behind, or you go against Jesus. Either you go out to gather with Jesus the people and the lives, or you scatter people. There is no midway. And this is the war that's raging. The reality is that we see far, far too many people caught by the evil one. Just look at the size of our church and the size of this community. We are a tiny church. We are few people who have presence of God with us, the Spirit of God with us. Everyone else there lives very much oppressed by the evil one in many ways. There is a raging war. But the third truth is that Jesus is winning. It's not always apparent when we see the amount of work that's outside of us, when we see the amount of work that's within us, when we see the amount of work that's around us, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, then we think, well, are we really winning a battle? The truth is that we are winning the battle. Jesus says in verse 28 and 29, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When Jesus started to drive out demons, he was saying that the kingdom of God is now with you. God's kingdom has come upon you. And then in verse 29, he says, Again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. What Jesus was saying is that when I have started delivering people from the grasp of the evil one, the evil one has been tied up. No longer is he powerful, no longer is he able to protect his house, protect the kingdom of darkness from the kingdom of light. When I have started by the Spirit of God to deliver people, then God has won the victory. Sometimes things don't look that cheery, but the reality is that God has won the battle, and that is very strong news for us as we look at the next point. The fourth point then is the work of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who does the work. It is interesting that in verse 28 it says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, who was the one who drives out demons? It was Jesus who called out the demons and told them to leave. But who was the instrument of that? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who by His power drove out the demons from this man. Now that's a little maybe confusing, but it allows us to understand who the Spirit really is. Jesus called out the spirits and asked them to go. It was the Spirit of God that did the driving out. The Spirit of God is like the power of God, the nerve center of God that does the work. And so we come to ask that question, why is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit unpardonable, but blasphemy against God pardonable? Is the Holy Spirit more powerful than God, more important than God? Is there a different principle to it? Let's look at John chapter 16, verse 3. John chapter 16, verse 3. Jesus says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. First of all, the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. That means the Holy Spirit is not the supreme one, he is like the mouthpiece of God. He speaks what he hears from God. But the Holy Spirit is also the one who will guide us into all truth, guide us in all things. The Holy Spirit then is not autonomous. He's not the one who commands all things. He hears what God says to him. When Jesus casts out demons, he's the one who pushes demons out to drive out the demons. Basically, the Spirit of God is like the heart and the, and the nerve center of God. He represents everything, the agenda of God. And that is why it's important. God does not hold His honor jealously. What He holds, gener what he holds jealously is His agenda that He delivers people from the evil one. God does not care so much about himself or his name. That's not important to God. What's important to God is this agenda that he will deliver the world from the grips of the evil one. That is why the Holy Spirit is so important. 
But, what's, but how reassuring this is to us. That first of all, we are all called to battle, but not in our own strength, certainly not in our own wisdom. It is the Holy Spirit who will speak truth to us and will guide us in ministry. It is the Holy Spirit who will tell us what to say and how to reach out. It is the Holy Spirit then who will change lives and speak to people. It is not our words. We can say a lot of things. It is the Holy Spirit then who will convict, bring conviction to hearts. When we pray for healing, it is the Holy Spirit who will heal. It is not us. And therefore, whether we are powerful or not powerful, it doesn't matter. We need to be obedient. In obedience, the Holy Spirit works through us and works powerfully through us. It's nothing about us. And that's the assurance for each one of you. Because each of us may feel inadequate, we may feel weak, we may feel like, I don't know how to do battle, I don't know what to do. The truth is the Holy Spirit will guide you and as you pray in the Spirit, and I'll teach you a little bit, step by step, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, then when we pray for someone, it is the Holy Spirit who does the healing, who casts out demons, who does all that work. We need not worry. But neither should we be arrogant. Neither should at the end of the day say, wow, I'm such a good prayer warrior. Wow, I'm such a great healer. Wow, I'm such a great prophet. Or wow, I'm such a great teacher. Nothing of that sort, because none of it is ours. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. And so it is a powerful thing and yet a humbling thing. It is powerful because it is God who will do the work and we can see victory in our homes, in our workplaces, in the community. It is humbling because nothing of it, none of it, belongs to us. And so now we come to that question, what is the unpardonable sin? Basically, few of us need to worry that much, and yet we need to be alert. It was about the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw, not just the Pharisees, but all of us who become like the Pharisees, but let's look at it. The Pharisees saw Jesus casting out the demon and healing this man. Everyone knew, it says all the people, in verse 23, it says all the people astonished and said, could this be the son of David? They all knew that this was the power of God. And then the Pharisees said, it is only by the prince of demons that this fellow drives out demons. Clearly, these Pharisees knew that it was a lie. It wasn't like they were in doubt and wondering, well, can it be? It was so clear to them that this was a lie, and yet they uttered it. Why do I say it was so clear? What, what, two things. Jesus said, first is common sense. If Satan were to drive out Satan, you wouldn't have a spiritual battle anymore. Satan would have been gone centuries ago. If Satan was always at war with Satan, I mean, you've got nothing to worry. He's, he's gone. He's killed himself. Certainly, he is not, and he is still raging a battle. But secondly, your people themselves are trying to cast out demons. So what are your people casting out by? Is it by God's power, by the power of demons? Surely you know why this demon, these demons were cast out. They were cast out by God, by the Spirit of God, and certainly not by the demons. It was so clear to the Pharisees. And yet in the Pharisees' malice and jealousy, perhaps in their sin, in the hardness of their hearts, they still said, this is by Satan. 
What they had contravened was not insulting to God. What they had done was to go against God's dream, God's mandate. That's the Holy Spirit. God's mandate was that he would set people free. But imagine the commanders. These were the leaders of their religion. They were the commanders of people, the faithful. If within their own ranks, they would say that God's work is that of the devil. And what they destroy, what they were seeking to destroy was God's agenda to save the world. Not about insulting God. And so the, the, the statement that Jesus said, every household that's divided against itself has two meanings. First, it's, it's obvious that it is not the devil who's driving out the devil. But secondly, if you within our own ranks and high-ranking people within our own ranks would then fight this agenda do you not destroy the work of God? And that was such a, such a sobering thought that you who claim to be the leaders of your faith are now destroying the very work that God is setting up to do. You are accusing the work of God, the Spirit of God, to be that of the devil. And then Jesus goes on in verse 33, he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What Jesus was saying is that this sin was not an accidental sin, it was not a slip of the tongue, it did not just come out because you were too excited, you weren't thinking, but Jesus was saying that this evil, this blasphemy came from your heart that was cultivated in your heart. It grew and it grew and it grew. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. What came out from the mouths of the Pharisees were things that had been stored in their hearts and had grown and taken root in their hearts. The hardened hearts. And therefore, they spoke it out. This is a clue to, some, to us too to be careful. We ask ourselves, how do we know that we are going against God? Listen to our own words. Listen to the hardness of our hearts. Are we soft and tender towards God? Are we involved with God in His agenda to set people free, to plunder the house of the evil one, to bring people out? Or does our heart, do our hearts, speak a different thing of hardness, of malice, of lies before God. We don't know where the limits of this sin is. It is a growing thing, a hardening of hearts to the extent where no longer will we turn to repent. It is a hardness of hearts that seeks to destroy all that God is doing. We don't know where that extent is or who has committed a, a sin so grievous. But what we do know are these truths. That God isn't easily insulted at all. God is not thin-skinned. He doesn't take it against us because of that. He has far deeper, more important things in his mind. And that is this war. This war that the evil one has taken captive of so many lives and so many homes, so many places. God is out there ready to attack that because he has tied up the strong man and he's out to plunder. And he wants each of us not to sit back uninvolved because we cannot be uninvolved. He who 
does not gather, scatters. He wants all of us to be involved in this fight and this victory that he has won and to go and plunder the debts, the home of the evil one. He doesn't do it to us, just say, go ahead and do and die. He does it by his spirit who is powerful within us, who does the work, who guides us as to how to do the work and who does the work himself. One simple exercise to try this out is this. It's a very simple one because it doesn't involve much and yet it is one of the most important. It is about relationships and conversations. We often think that the spiritual battle is about fighting the evil one and defeating. Yes, it is the essence of it. But it's manifested, it's lived out day by day in small things, in conversations. I learned how important conversations are in this spiritual warfare one of the things I learned was in prison, working in prison, was prisoners are terrified. They, they long for family, family visits and they're terrified of family visits. When their families visit them, they long for it because it reminds them that they're not forgotten, that they're loved, that people care for them. But they're terrified because how much can you talk in 20 minutes, especially after you have hurt your family members so much? You're afraid of being scolded afraid of being screamed at. You're afraid that if you ask any sensitive question, the family members are going to hit you back. So because of what you've done, you, you've caused all this trouble at home. You've caused the poverty at home. You've done so much damage. It scares them to meet with their family members. And so they are in conflict. On the one hand, they long for the members to come and visit them. On the other, they're terrified of it. And so they'd rather just sneak off and forget, be forgotten by family members and forget all about them and just finish their jail term or get hanged or whatever. One of the things then that we taught them was to pray for blessed conversations. When the families come every two weeks, two weeks before the families come, you start praying and you say, God, bless our conversation. Bless these little 20 minutes. Make it so that when we leave, they will be so grateful to have come. I will have been so grateful that they came will have been so grateful that it was a good conversation. Simple prayer like that, and we saw a lot of results. We saw then that these meeting, terrifying meetings were no longer terrifying, that after they had met, prayed and met, they would come out having stories about how they shared with each other and how their hearts met. We try that in our conversations at home, where we pause before things instead of I mean, sometimes when we say grace, we say it very glibly, like Marcela, what to do, Christian. But why don't we pray instead for blessed conversations over our meals? That as we sit down, whether with family members or we sit down with colleagues or friends, we pray that each of these conversations will be conversations that will build up, that will strengthen our lives, each other's lives mutually. Because spiritual battles are, are won very much by our engagement, by our, by our display, expression of love to each, each other. And when, when we allow God to, or we ask God to bless, what God does is first He guides the way we talk, and then His power, His Spirit then brings about peace and healing and, and blessing to each. So we try that in our conversations. Before our conversations, we pray and Say, God, work miracles 
you know, coming together. But you know, there's something else that I'd like us to try church-wide. One of the things that we lost during COVID is the use of our fellowship room. We used to have fellowship all the time. After service, we gather there. But you know what we are blessed with? We are blessed with food court. We are blessed with coffee shop. We are blessed with restaurants. Not too expensive, maybe not too nice either. I'm not sure. I haven't tried. But we are blessed with lots of places to gather. And that's where fellowship takes place. And so I was thinking, rather than timing ourselves and saying that we should end by 12 and go home, you know, the end time is 12, why don't you time ourselves and say, Sunday worship ends at 1. No, no, sermons aren't going to get any longer. Services aren't going to get any longer. But after service, you gather downstairs at the entrance, you go out with each other, and you have blessed conversations. How about that? How about if we tried that next week and see what happens, that we gather outside for, te for 10 minutes and then you find your groups. Don't always gather with the same people. One of our problems is that there are pockets of people we haven't met. In a church this size, uh, do you know that this is the same size as my staff team in Barker Road? <laughs> you don't know people? You're in trouble, man. Get to know people you haven't met. Get to know them, talk about anything. Before that, you pray, God, bless our time together, bless our conversations. And then you gather and you find new people, different people you haven't met, and you go out to the food court, have a drink or have lunch or something. And then allow the Spirit to guide you. Be interested in each other. Find out about people. Listen to them. Talk to them. And then maybe you can talk about the sermon, about devotions. You can talk about life issues, you can even talk about the neighbourhood, where are the needs. You can talk about a whole lot of things, but you don't worry about that. You just ask God for blessed conversations and let God lead. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in your conversations and see what you get from that. But I think that will be a great way first to build each other up before we go out to the neighbourhood and reach out to the neighbourhood. If we tried that as an experiment next week, this week a bit short, lah, short notice, so next week just gather and then wait outside for 10 minutes and see who comes and you go out in groups of up to eight, maybe five, twos, doesn't matter how many, as long as it's not more than eight. And then you go out to any of the food courts and coffee shops and have a conversation. First, praying that God will bless those conversations. That would be a great start to building up again a church fellowship and the love within this church. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your great mercy that though we sin so much, even when we curse you and even when we insult you and blaspheme against you, you do not take it out against us because you love us so much. And Father, indeed, that gives you even more honour. Because beyond all other deities, all other kings, even all other humanity, few would, few would forgive insults and curses and blasphemies. But you, the King of kings, would not even take these to heart. And even when wicked men insulted you and cursed you and smote you and crucified you you said Father forgive them 
Father, such are you, a God who doesn't care for your own name, though you are so worthy of all honour. Father, you care. You care for each individual. One single demon-possessed man who couldn't talk and who couldn't see. And you loved him. You see each of us, Lord, each of us insignificant beings and and God, you want to bring us into your kingdom and to let your kingdom reign in our lives. Such is your love for us, such is your commitment to us. That the only thing that bothers you, the only thing that hurts you and makes you really angry is when we turn against your plan to bring more people into life. Help us to see, Lord, that in this raging battle, we are the victors. You're not the losers, Lord, because you have tied up the strong man and now you tell us, go plunder it. Teach us, Lord, give us that faith to believe that you have sent us out to plunder, to bring peace and love to the places that that used to be dark and hopeless. Father, help us to know that it is not by our strength, but it is by your Spirit that these things are done. That darkness is dispelled, that hatred is brought to an end. Help us to know, Lord, that you are actively at work. By your Spirit, we too, Lord, can plunder the house of the evil one. And so, God, we, we pray Help us, remind us that we cannot stay neutral, but that each of us is called into this fight. Father, strengthen us. Come and move in our lives and our hearts. As we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.